Whether in the media, our government, or our schools, Christianity faces tremendous intellectual persecution. This program stands on the intellectual front lines. With disarming honesty, we engage the most difficult issues facing Christians today. I want to welcome you to Theology Unplugged, the radio outreach of Credo House Ministries in Edmond, Oklahoma. We sit down over lattes at the Credo House coffee shop and just talk theology. I'm Michael Patton, president of Credo House Ministries. I'll be leading the discussion along with Tim Kimberly, director of ministries for Frontline Church Edmond, Sam Storms, lead pastor of Bridgeway Church, and finally J.J. Side, pastor of community and discipleship at Bridgeway Church. Theology Unplugged, welcome. Carrie, good to see you. You too, Michael. It's been ages. I know. We, we, we worked together all day long, and now we're recording together because you are so argumentative. I am. I'm yeah. feisty. You're, you get pretty unplugged, too. Oh, I do. Yeah. Don't get as unplugged as you normally do. Oh, I won't. Because that can't be on radio. No, I, no. <laughs> it can't be on HBO. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> well, I'm editing that one out. <laughs> no, you can't edit anything out. This is unplugged. <laughs> now, um, I, I want to talk a little bit about who can be saved. All right, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna define this a little bit more. Carrie, you've come in here. And God bless your heart, you don't really know what we're going to talk about. No, I don't. But I like it that way. Okay. That's my favorite way to do unplugged versions. I, I do it and we'll get mm-hmm. unplugged. If, if I tell you what we're going to talk about, then you get all prepared and your thoughts all together and it's not unplugged, right? That's true. And I mean, frankly, you know, with me, it's different because I'm coming up with the topic, but I'm not coming up with really exactly how we're going to sure. go through this. Well, but who can be topic. saved? Yeah. Uh, well, let me tell you a story. I, I think I've told you this story before, but I, maybe it was whenever I was 24 years old, and Lindsay, my sister, had a friend who was an atheist, mm-hmm. and Lindsay wanted me to talk to her. And I think I was in seminary at this time, maybe. I don't really remember. I must have been, but I came home, and we set up a meeting, and she came over to my parents' house, and she just had a problem with Christianity because she believed in evolution. Mm-hmm. And uh, while we, right when we started talking, she said, uh, Michael, this conversation is pretty worthless because I believe in evolution. You're a Christian. Therefore, uh, you're not going to be able to change me. And a lot of people would say, well, let's start with the issue of evolution. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they would say, Okay, let's deal with evolution. Let's let's show that it's not true. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do that at this time. This is probably the first time I ever acted this way, but I said, I don't care about evolution. Uh, I don't care about your view about evolution. Mm-hmm. I said, if you continue to believe evolution, fine. That has nothing to do with what I'm telling you about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay, Because if evolution is true or not, does not determine whether or not you can trust in Christ. And that's or, or your need to trust in him. Yeah, yeah. And that's probably the controversial thing that I'd say here today on Unplugged. It's the Unplugged version here. Mm-hmm. But that that is true. And I told her, I said, listen, let's set evolution aside. You can believe in it. There are Christians out there, Francis Collins and, and uh, many biblical exegetes who believe in evolution. Theistic evolution. Yeah, theistic yeah. evolution. Believe in evolution, yet believe in God and that God did it. And I said, 
You can believe in that. That's fine. I just want to talk to you about Jesus, and I want to talk to you about the resurrection of Jesus, and some other time we can talk about evolution. Mm-hmm. And she was really confused and wanted to argue for a little while about that. No, you can't. No, you can't. And finally, I just said, you can. I mean, there's legitimate interpretations of Genesis chapter 1 that I don't happen to agree with, but at the same time, they they could be true. And so we talked about Jesus for the rest of the night. And I remember her on the way home, she called my sister and said, I just trusted Jesus. And I'm so excited. And, you know, later on, it's kind of funny. And now she's a six-day creationist? (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think so. But she did reject evolution later on, which still is not the issue. You know, whether she did or not is not the issue with me. Right. But I guess uh, whenever I go to who can be saved, Mm -hmm. here's the question. Can someone who believes in evolution be saved? Uh, Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you mean like... I think maybe the question, what you're really getting at is, do they have to reject that belief in order to be saved? In yeah. order, Is that like part of the gospel call uh, that, uh, you know, um, believe that you're a sinner, understanding that, that, that you know, you're, you're separated from God because of your sin, that it's only through Christ that uh, you can be forgiven and by trusting in him and who he is. And also by rejecting Charles Darwin. Yeah. then you are a believer. Yeah. No, you can't tack that on. There's no need to that, but do that. But so many people do, and this is, the, this is a problem within what I believe to be a problem with many of us is that we add things to the essential gospel. Mm-hmm. I believe that there's an essential gospel, and then there's a broader gospel mm-hmm. that's the good news. And the essential gospel is the one you can't get wrong. And mm-hmm. the other ones we can. And there's things that we can be messed up in and and have even really wrong views about, but yet still trust in Jesus and still, I mean, it comes down to this. Do you recognize your own sinfulness? Do you recognize your own need for a savior? Mm -hmm. And have you repented and turned to him and said, have mercy on me, the sinner? Mm -hmm. Not have you repented of all your wrong views Mm -hmm. and uh, have you got the right views on everything Mm -hmm. and then... You can trust in Jesus. Right. I mean, this is, we've talked about this a little bit before, but it's kind of this theological fundamentalism or theological legalism to where mm-hmm. you, you you don't recognize the central elements and distinguish those from the non-central elements. We call these uh, the difference between cardinal doctrines and non-cardinal doctrines, essentials and non-essentials. Or, or even um, a, a primary essential and a secondary essential. Yeah. That, that's another category, too. But, but the thing is, the notion that you have to reject all your bad thinking, well, then that leaves no room to grow. Yeah. The thing is, then what do you do about sanctification? Because sanctification isn't just the process of learning to live right, but it's also the process of learning to think virtuously. Yeah. And as Christians, we're constantly developing in that because we don't have a perfect knowledge of things and we are sinful and there's the what's called the noetic effects of sin so if you know having to reject an aberrant view of origins which i would say a darwinian model is an aberrant view of origins but having to reject that in order to uh, tacking that on to what justifies us and saves us that's that doesn't make any sense because it doesn't leave any room to grow 
and develop as in your thinking as a Christian and well, to know things and, better and, and, and know get Christ into all more kinds deeply of stuff and all that. People will be, uh, you have to reject evolution or you have to be a six-day creationist or you have to be a Calvinist in order to be saved. You know, well, now <laughs> that might Come be on. true, <laughs> but you've heard Calvinists I say that. I tell you that. what, if you are saved, you're eventually going to be one. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, all Within our Arminians, six months. With, yeah, maybe. <laughs> it should be six days, but that's okay. No, but. But no. you have people that are just as uh, sure. dogmatic, just as sure that. If you are not a Calvinist, you can't be saved, as people or say, it, unless you reject evolution. If you, you can't aren't be saved. a Calvinist, you aren't truly saved. Because yeah. I think that's what maybe you're getting at is that um, what essentially makes you a Christian? That in terms of uh, what are the set of propositions yeah. that are there for you to believe? Yeah. And it's not to remove the experiential aspect of it and yeah. coming to know Jesus in a very real way. But knowing him also includes knowing the truth about him. Yeah. So what are those very like just the like in a like you get down to the the minimal facts, like we talk about the minimal facts of the resurrection. What about the minimal facts of justification? Yeah. What are the minimal facts required for us to be justified before yeah. God? Yeah. And it's pretty slim. Yeah. Little you know what I mean? There's not a lot going on there yeah. in terms of what we have to to know initially to come to faith in Christ. Well, right? Yeah, definitely. It, definitely. I mean, and, and you've got this. I mean, it's across the board with uh, I can name so many things where people say, unless you believe this or if you reject this, mm. you can't be saved. I mean, right. whether it is Calvinism. I mean, let me let me lay my cards out on the table just for a little bit here. And I don't want this to make me lose some viewers, but I'm a Calvinist. I reject evolution. I am a, a, uh, a premillennialist. I'm a dispensationalist. I mean, I can go on and I on with things. So that far, I am. you got four amens. <laughs> well, and probably with our audience, I did as well. But at the same time, uh, I am a believer in Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection of my sinfulness, Absolutely. my utter need for Him. Right now, out of all of those, the only one you have to have is that last one, and the rest are non-essential. They are not even essential necessarily. For your sanctification, uh, you know, you don't have to be these things in order to be as sanctified as sanctified as I am. Mm-hmm. Like I don't see myself as, well, you may be a Christian, but I'm a better Christian because I have more right beliefs on non-essential issues. Mm-hmm. On non-essential, yeah, yeah. And that's just well, <laughs> that would be asinine. Yeah, you know. But but how important is it? You can't say asinine on on air. Why? I'm just kidding. Oh, oh. Ooh, I didn't mean that. Told you, HBO. That, that is an essential <laughs> that you cannot say on Ooh. the air. Okay, but listen, there are also, I mean, I, I can keep on naming them. I mean, you've got one, one real weird one that that uh, was debated whenever I wrote a blog on this endlessly. I think probably 500 comments. Oh, I know but what it is. This is uh, the the idea of preterism, and can a preterist oh. be saved? And preterism is this belief, and and to me and to you, most of the viewers, you'll probably be somewhat shocked by this because it's not, yeah, listeners. <laughs> um, you'll probably be somewhat shocked by this because it is, it's just gonna shock you, and you'll be like, you can't be a Christian and hold that, but think about it. Preterists believe this. Okay? Full preterists. Yeah, full preterists. And most of them are Calvinists, by the way. 
They, the, uh, the, these guys that I'm talking about believe in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. They believe that we have to repent of our sins and call upon the Lord to be saved. And he's the only way for salvation. On and on we go. But they believe that Jesus has already come back. We're not waiting on the second coming in the new heavens and the new earth or the resurrection of the body. We're already living in it. That it all happened, and it happened in AD 70. 70 AD, yeah. And, and the uh, reason for that is because they believe in inerrancy, which is another one we can talk about in just a second. But they believe in inerrancy, that the Bible doesn't have any um, any errors whatsoever, which I believe as well. But they believe in this, and they think the only way to hold to it whenever Jesus says such things like, behold, I'm coming quickly, or I'm coming soon, or some of you will not taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in his glory. They believe the only way to hold to that is to see Jesus coming in AD 70, which was the apocalyptic time for Jerusalem from their standpoint, and Jesus already come back. The resurrection of the dead is the resurrection of our spirit within us, and we are in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, can a preterist be saved? <laughs> I mean, seriously, can a preterist be saved? Don't bite your lip. You're actually biting. You're, you're bite, I see you biting your lip. You're probably biting your tongue. I am biting my tongue. And we'll well, leave it what, at that. Because what do you want to say? I think there's a real problem there in terms of of what that entails, not yeah. what, of what that view entails not what they but say they, they it means, believe they're sinners but what they it need entails. salvation in christ and christ is well, the then only way i think then that kind of gets into like primary essentials like first class essentials yeah. things you must believe in order to come to a saving faith yeah. in christ and then second class essentials or secondary essentials things you will not reject if you do believe in christ like well, I don't know. So like, you're saying they can't they can't be saved. I, I don't know. I mean yeah. it because ultimately what we're dealing with is the notion that if I understand full preterism correctly, that we are living in the new heaven and the new earth. Yeah, but when we die we do go to the presence of Christ. Right. But, but you know, I don't know. Is the is an essential that you know, is it essential to orthodoxy? Well here here's what that, you may to say. believe that Jesus is gonna return. I think it's an essential to orthodoxy, but My I don't allergies. think it's an essential to the uh, the the gospel. Uh, and I, I can distinguish that later, maybe if I can remember it. But um, I mean, some people may think of this and say, "What gospel do you have if Jesus isn't coming back?" You know, that's part mm-hmm. of the good news. It is. I don't know what to think about full preterism. I used to just dismiss them outright and say they were rank heretics and weren't yeah. believers. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have a lot of problems, though, with that. It make, I'm not ready to make a decision. Well, in my view, you can definitely be though. saved and be a full preterist. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I just believe that because... It, you're not even looking saying, at it as a second-class you're, you're essential. You're saying, okay, because we're we're on the air. No! If, I'm saying you're not viewing that as a second-class essential, meaning something that you wouldn't reject. Like the Trinity, for yeah. example, I think is a second-class essential. You don't necessarily understand that God's triune... In order um, to be saved. In order to be saved. But if you are saved, it's not something... And not only a rejection of it, but a willful, rebellious rejection of a doctrine. I think that that's sort of, that's that's when it's kind of, 
um, you know, uh, it's questionable of someone's salvation. Well, see, it, still, it still becomes questionable. And so you got preterists who I think can be saved because I don't think your view of the coming of Christ is an essential element of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Although I think it's uh, it, it makes me crazy, you know, to think you don't have the full restoration of people. You don't have the new heavens and the new earth. You don't have the full uh, bringing about of of redemption of all things. But, hey, okay, fine. But you have that, and you have all kinds of controversial issues, and I can get even more controversial. You know, let's talk about, say, the doctrine of hell. Do you have to believe in a literal hell in order to be saved? Eternal conscious yeah. torment. Yeah, eternal conscious torment in order I don't to be saved. See, I don't think... I think. <laughs> Well, what's Do you that, really what, want to know my view on that? Well, then let's give it another option. I don't think you would reject that notion if you're regenerate. Well, what, what if what if you say... <laughs> I'm such a fundy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've already said that before. Oh, goodness. <laughs> but uh, what, what if somebody says, I think uh, they'll all be annihilated? It's called conditional I, immortality. They will, <laughs> Hell will one day cease to exist because God will wipe out everybody that's in it and wipe out hell itself. I think it's questionable. Well, John Stott was uh, uh, maybe. Maybe what? He he. Okay, go ahead with your thought on John Stott. <laughs> well, John Stott was a conditional immortality. Are you guy. you're certain he was a full blown annihilationist? I'm pretty darn sure. I mean, okay. he's he's the example that's used by everybody, and oh, he never okay. he All never right. rejected that. He never came into this defense and said, "No, I'm really not." And so he he was the example until his death, as far as I know. Okay, that's fair. And so he's an annihilationist, uh, but he wrote probably the best book that has ever been the cross written of Christ. on the yeah. atonement, yeah. the cross of Christ. It, it, it is in my top three books. I think he was moderate. <laughs> top three books my camp. I have ever read on the atonement. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, I ever read, period. It's just a masterpiece, mm-hmm. the cross of Christ. And I'm, I read that, and I say, there's no way this guy's not saved. Just because he rejects my particular view of hell, which I do believe in eternal conscious mm-hmm. torment in hell. Sure. But well, What about like Slyermacher, who people rave on and on and on about the treatment he gave Pentecost? He denied the very reason Pentecost occurred. Schleiermacher. Schleiermacher is the father of liberalism. He denied the literal bodily resurrection, but I've oh, heard of people. Pentecost. Uh, no, he, like his exit on, on Pentecost. Oh, on, I thought in, in you were Acts. talking about Dwight Pentecost. No. no. <laughs> like, you've got your dates really messed up there. Gary, what are you talking about? <laughs> Go home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I meant like his. Treatment, his exegetical treatment of, I think, I've heard people argue that, that it's brilliant, that it's great, it's yeah. it's fantastic. But yet he denied the literal bodily resurrection of Christ. Well, he denied miracles all Well, together. he denied everything, yeah. which is ironic. How could he do a great treatment on Pentecost when he's denying miracles? Anyway, that was a little esoteric. I'm sorry about that. But what I'm getting at is that who's the arbitrator here? Who decides? Who ultimately decides what is... What is secondary essential? What is primary? What is not? I'm glad you asked because I decide. Okay, <laughs> but what? That's well, what it I comes down think, to. I what, don't think we're left or we're left to just bring in the uh, authoritative church or or somebody that is inerrant giving us these essentials because I think we can be pretty sure about what the essentials are from 
from what? Well, I think number one from scripture. Yeah. Does does the scripture call it an essential? Sure. And is it something that is repeated in scripture often? You know, I think mm. that I think God's existence is an essential. <laughs> you can't be a Christian atheist, right? I sent you a link that Presbyterian minister who is an atheist. Well, he, did you read that? I would say most definitely he is not a Christian. You so, think? <laughs> so yeah, you he's, can't a, be a he's a atheist. minister. So go figure. Uh, and I would say there there's things in the Bible which say this is an essential, like Paul, First Corinthians chapter fifteen. I delivered to you that which was of first, first importance. importance. Sure. And so. If anybody's wondering whether or not this is a scriptural category that we're talking about here, Paul says of first importance, which assumes there are things of second importance mm-hmm. and maybe even third and fourth importance. Again, like that sort of um, first class essentials yeah. of first importance are the the bare propositions of the yeah. gospel. And, and, and that Paul point says to that. the person of Paul Christ. Paul says that Christ died for our sins. We're sinners. Christ mm-hmm. died for them. Sure. So somehow the cross takes care of our sins yes. and that he rose from the grave. Mm-hmm. And so these are essentials because they're defined by they're scripture. They're first importance. And then also I think we have to look to church history and ask the question, is this throughout church history seen as an essential and held as an essential? Because what if what if we hold to something and we think the Bible is clear and that this is an essential, but then you look in church history and it nobody holds to it. You just came up with it. You you came up with it in your bedroom, studying your Bible by yourself, but nobody before you has seen in church history this is an essential, and nobody has held to the same view. I would say automatically, no way, because what you're saying is the power of the Holy Spirit has not been here for 2,000 years until you came. And when we look to church history, what we're doing is we're looking for the presence of the Spirit in a unified confession. Mm -hmm. And so what is everybody that has been within the church, I'm not saying how good they are or what denomination or what tradition they came from, what have they all always said? Well, Jesus Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, that he rose from the grave, that we're sinners, that we have to have faith, that we're saved by grace. Everybody has said those things. Now, they may get into particulars and disagree about those particulars, but that is the power of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. coming through through church history and defining the essentials for us. We hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast. If it's blessed you, they'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to join the group again next week for another edition of Theology Unplugged. Theology Unplugged is a listener-supported ministry of the Credo House. They're a theological hub and coffee shop and their address is 109 Northwest 142nd Street in Edmond, Oklahoma, 73013. They're open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., and Saturdays, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Please consider this your official invitation. You're invited to come and visit the Credo House and discuss today's program or take a tour of the theologically rich surroundings. You might also enjoy one of their signature drinks like a Luther latte or a Nicene mocha. In fact, if it's your first time in the Credo House and you mention that you heard their program on Bot Radio Network, you can have the drink of your choice for free. For more information or to support this ministry, visit credohouse.org.